Welcome to Inspirational Journeys, Stories That Matter. This is a place where authors, creative artists, and entrepreneurs can share the story behind their process. You will also hear solo episodes where I give writing tips, inspiration, encouragement, and lessons I've learned throughout my writing journey, all inspired by the Holy Spirit. Grab a cup of your favorite beverage, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And don't forget to visit my website at annewritesinspiration.com. Thanks for supporting my Inspirational Journeys podcast. My purpose is to provide a platform for authors, creative artists, and entrepreneurs to share their stories while also providing writing tips, encouragement, and inspiration to help you achieve your writing goals through faith and courage. By clicking the support this podcast button or following the link in my show notes, your monthly contribution of 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99 will help me achieve mine. Welcome to Inspirational Journeys, everyone. My name is Ann Harrison, and today, before I introduce my guest, I want to send a special shout out to Karen Steele, who is the publicist for Revel Revel Books, which is a division of Baker Publishing. Thanks so much, Karen, for helping me make connections with fabulous authors from your publishing group. Okay, and now... Since I have given my special shout out, I would like to introduce my very special guest, Beth White, who is the author of the Daughtry House series, among other things. Her latest book is entitled A Reckless Love. Welcome to the show, Beth. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So tell me a little bit, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm pulling my screen down so you see it better. All right, uh, just general information. I uh, was born here in Mobile um, and then moved to South Haven, Mississippi when I was very small. So I'm, I'm a, I consider myself really a native Mississippian. However, um, my husband and I have lived in Mobile, Alabama for the last 30 some odd years. So we're very, very much at home in Mobile, which is where I was born. So it's kind of interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> And I, oh, uh, and also I teach uh, high school chorus at an inner city public high school here in Mobile. So I'm a music teacher and musician for my day job. Wow. Yeah. And then, of course, a writer on the side. So with your music, so you teach chorus um, and you're a musician. Do you play piano or what instrument do you play? Um, I play the piano and the flute. Um, so mm-hmm. I... I really close to having an, an well, I, I have an instrumental cert- certification on my uh, teacher certificate. So I have taught piano um, many times, it, both privately and in a class situation over the years. I've taught, um, I have a degree in English as well. So I've taught some uh, middle school and high school English as well. So, but on the music side, uh, vocal is my major instrument, but I, I've played the piano since I was seven years old. So I play piano pretty well and then oh wow yeah so in your youtube videos um do are you singing in a choir or can you tell us a little bit about the the youtube the videos on your youtube channel 
the, the stuff on my YouTube channel is not me performing. It's uh, my, my choirs, my high school choirs performing. Uh, I taught for eight years at, um, at an inner city school, um, kind of in a, a, a impoverished area of the city. And, uh, but I had some, it was a magnet school. So my students are really, really gifted uh, kids musically. And we traveled all over the area performing for a variety of different community events. And then sometimes I would record them just in the choir room, warming up and goofing off. And um, I've recorded some of my students who are, who've been composers. Uh, we, we created a, uh, our, a, a musical version of a children's novel, Bud Not Buddy, by, by uh, Richard Curtis, Paul Curtis, and um, it's, it's just a book that I've, I've loved forever, and so I thought it would make a great um, high school musical, so we took that story, and I condensed it into a script, and some of my students wrote, actually wrote songs for that musical. We created our own sets. Uh, we developed the lighting, um, the, the, the whole schmear. I mean, it was like a Broadway musical. It was wonderful. Just had it. So I recorded some of that, and I've recorded some of the kids' um, com compositions for that production. So we've done, we've done just a variety of that. But, it, but I'm at a different uh, high school now, but I've continued to record my students uh, whenever, they, whenever I feel like they've got a piece that is particularly uh, excellent, particularly meaningful to, to what we do. Um, I'll just turn on my iPhone and send it up for the world to views, and it's kind of fun. Oh, that's cool. So yeah. you guys have to check out Beth White on YouTube. Um, but, and so now let's turn to writing because I don't know if music and writing, if, if music inspires your writing or not, we'll get into that in a minute. But what inspired you to become a writer? Um, well, before uh, I was a musician, before I started taking piano lessons, of course, I've always been a singer. Uh, grew up in a very musical family, but I've all, my family is also uh, very literary. My, uh, my dad would carry around a, a dime novel in his pocket when he was a kid. And so, uh, and my parents would take us to the library uh, faithfully mo uh, more than once a week sometimes and my sisters and I grew up uh, riding our bikes to the library so we just grew, grew up in a, in a literary reading family and that you know a lot of times that just kind of naturally flows into writing I started yes. it does and I started keeping a diary a journal when I was probably in the sixth grade or so and I kept that up for uh, until I was married and had kids, I guess I, I did that every day. And even now that I've gone kind of gone back to journaling and that of course, as you know, fuels, um, fiction writing. Uh, if you get used to writing every day, uh, your habit of, um, analyzing your own emotions, analyzing the things that happen to you every day, kind of bleed over into the looking at the world around you and trying to figure things out. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of a natural intro, introvert, so I tend to sit in a corner and watch people anyway, and then I would go home and uh, imagine what was going on in people's brains, why they would behave the way that they did, and uh, before I was probably, I, I started writing little short stories and things when I was really young. Uh, I didn't keep a lot of that stuff, uh, but by the time I was grown, I had begun to create a a, a short story that kind of blossomed into a novel. That wasn't very good. 
honestly, it was terrible and I hope nobody ever sees it. But, um, but once you start realizing that you can take a story from a beginning to a middle to an end and wrap up a cohesive story, that's kind of an unusual kind of thing. And uh, when I realized that I could do that, even though it was not as good as I wanted it to be, that kind of triggered the, the, the urge to start studying, to read books about writing, to go to conferences and learn from people who had uh, made a professional career of writing. So that's kind of how it all got started for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love reading, reading turned to writing and all that kind of stuff. I used to be, uh, I've done creative writing when I was in school, which got me started. And it's been quite a wild ride for me. too. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I've seen that you've written a, a, a lot of other novels besides the da the Daughtry House, but Daughtry House series is what we're going to talk about, what we're going to mainly focus on. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit about your writing process. Do you outline or are you, do you pants or kind of in between? Yes, kind of all of the above. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of these uh, kind of hybrid type people. I try really, really hard to develop an outline so that I get a general idea of what's going to happen towards the end uh, before I get started. But I, for some, for some reason, I just cannot ever see the end clearly. Um, and sometimes what I think is going to be the ending is, turns into be a climactic scene, but it, but it doesn't always really wrap the story up in a satisfactory way. And, and I have to kind of feel that as I go along. And, and of course, you know how this is, if you're a writer yourself, you know that, that characters as you initially envision them don't always do what you think that they're going to do. Nope. Never. Very <laughs> that way. So, um, yeah, I, I try to outline, uh, I desperately try to outline, but I'm, I can never really follow through. <laughs> mm -mm. Because I, I'm, I do bare bones plotting and then I'll go back and, and like look at different beats for my novel and stuff like that as I edit and revise. But when I first write, I mean, I get the, the, the basic idea of where it's going to start and what trail I want to head down, but then nothing comes out exactly the, exactly the way it turns out. And it can be shocking when you realize what the true ending is. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that happened to me recently. <laughs> yeah, it's frustrating, but it's also kind of exciting when a story oh, yeah. takes on a life of its own, and that's really fun. Right, that's because fun. you're like, no, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And two, because I write historical novels, um, a lot of times that what, what really happened in the history kind of dictates where I take a, a, a plot and it dictates how characters would behave. So as I write, sometimes I'll discover something in a, in a little tiny hidden uh, historical nugget that I, I didn't know about. And that will jerk the story in another direction, which is also very exciting and and sometimes really discombobulating because when that happens, then you have to rethink how am I going to end this and, uh, and and can I take it where I thought it was going to go? And sometimes the answer to that is no. You, you just have to go in a new direction and just roll with it. Yep. Do your characters talk to you when, when, when you're in the midst of research and working oh, through the story? Oh. 
Yeah. Um, I, when I was a really little child, I would take my dolls, would talk to each other and I would create dialogue. And so I kind of got used to the idea that I'm, I'm creating a conversation between two characters. Uh, and, uh, and that's, that, that's always kind of been how I function mentally and intellectually. And then as I develop stories, um, sometimes I'll actually hear a conversation as I'm drifting off to sleep mm -hmm. or as I'm waking up, which is always kind of fun. And then I can, then I've got something to go on. Sometimes I walk around for like a week in a fog with no idea of what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden it's like a scene just jumps into my brain, almost like a movie and I see it happening and then I run to find my computer or a piece of paper and, um, and get that down. I know I have to do that sometimes first thing in the morning. I'm not ready to turn on the computer, but a scene comes to me and something like that and I have to plot it, send myself an email. This is part of the plot. This is what needs to happen. Exactly, exactly. Because that, that happens to me a lot. And one time I was like listening to a magazine on the audiobook and, um, or well, it was a talking book magazine because I'm visually impaired as, or well, totally blind as a lot of you listeners know. But anyway, and I was kind of like zoning out and all of a sudden I had to turn around and write for at least an hour and a half because a scene hit me. Yeah, yeah. That, that happens. So, Tell me a little the, about the inspiration behind the Daughtry House series. Okay, um, well, I, I am a Mississippian, as I said, um, by uh, rearing. I was raised in North Mississippi and went to school at Mississippi State. And I have lots of relatives at the southern end of the state as well. So I've always been really interested in Mississippi history, although I, had, I haven't actually set a lot of uh, books in Mississippi prior to the Daughtry House series. Most of my stuff is set in, in Alabama or Texas for whatever weird, weird reason. Uh, but when I finished the, the Gulf Coast Chronicles uh, about four years ago, um, I was trying to uh, figure out what I was going to do next. And um, as it happened, one of my acquiring editor at the time, Lonnie Hull DuPont, um, suggested the Reconstruction Era. Uh, so um, I try to think... Um, story and creative and I, I think through history, but I also like to think uh, practically as far as what readers might enjoy reading about. So I thought I need a place to set, uh, I, I wanted to do a plantation series uh, where, uh, where a, a series, uh, several characters maybe in a family were recovering from just the, the trauma of the Civil War and what would have happened to these people uh, during that time. So I thought, well, what would be an interesting city or town in Mississippi to set this? Well, the first thing that popped into my head was Elvis Presley was born in Mississippi. What about Tupelo? So, um, and as it happened, as I did the research, there, there are no uh, extant uh, plantations near Tupelo. It's, it, it was established and settled in 1870, which was about the time frame that I needed, but there are no plantations left in the area. So I had to go to nearby West Point, Mississippi, to find an actual real uh, mansion uh, left over and still in fabulous shape. Um, all these years later, our family had bought that place. It's called Waverly Plantation uh, and restored it um, to its antebellum state. And it's just beautiful. And I, I dug into the research and learned about uh, what happened to this family kind of before, during, and, and right after the Civil War. It was so interesting that I used a lot of that material 
to develop my story around the Daughtry sisters that I uh, planted in Tupelo. So I dug into Tupelo history. I dug into uh, West Point, Mississippi history. I dug into just general reconstruction of the area uh, of the South um, and, uh, and found out so many um, startling things. That, that period of history is not focused on, generally speaking, in our, in our public high schools anymore. Uh, very few people know very much about it, and I didn't know much about it. So uh, some of the things I found out about President Grant and uh, the, the secretaries of state at the time, the justice system at the time, um, was just really eye-opening. I had a feeling that it was going to have, the, the history of that time was going to have implications for the way our political system has developed in the 21st century, and I was absolutely correct. Some of the decisions that were made, some of the laws that were passed during that time um, have highly imp impacted the way um, our social and cultural and political, religious um, American system has developed. So um, I was just fascinated to, um, to dig into all that and kind of weave that through the story, while at the same time telling an engaging uh, romance with a mystery thread through the whole series. Oh, and I love the mystery thread too because I write. <laughs> I've I've been I'm writing a, a, a psychological thriller, Christian psychological thriller now. So the wow. mystery element was what drew me. I like the sweet romance, but I love the mystery too. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you do your research prior to writing, or do you um, write and then? put in points that need to be researched as you go? Um, I usually research as I go. I read um, usually a, as a big giant overarching history of the period and then I'll uh, then I'll read um, either download with Kindle. Hold on, or I'm sorry. Sorry. sorry about that y'all. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Okay, uh, as, as, uh, anyway I read as much um, history as I with as many details as I know about. For example, in, this, uh, in the most recent book, Reckless Love, I, I knew that one of my characters was a US deputy marshal. So I needed to read a couple of books uh, set uh, during uh, the period of the development of that uh, justice system, that part of our justice system. So I read as much as I can ahead of time to develop a, a strong enough story bones plot uh, to get it going. And then there inevitably comes up something that I don't know enough about and I have to go look up articles or maybe uh, download another book or maybe buy a book off of eBay that, eBay that may be a really, really old memoir or something. Mm. And I have to, I have to uh, read about details. Um, you can't know everything and you can't spend your whole life researching and reading eventually at some point you have to write and do the best you can right and then then look up wh whatever you need to as you, and go. If you can't find what you need you make it up along the way <laughs> well here's the thing that's the truth because if i can't find it out chances are it's not there and and so you just have to use your common sense and your imagination which is cool mm -hmm. yeah job never written a historical i had a dream about writing one but i've never actually written one before so it sounds intriguing it is <clears throat> so tell us a little bit about a reckless love 
All right, well, A Reckless Love is the third book of the series. Uh, each of the three books is a continuing uh, chunk of an overarching mystery plot thread, which I understand that probably frustrates some readers who want to jump in and read the last one and they don't really care to go back and read the other. That, that, that's fine. The, the third book can be a standalone novel because I've tried to recap enough without getting too boring to catch up the, the late entry reader so they don't get too frustrated. But it, the idea is to have a, a series that is uh, in a continuous arc uh, and each of the three books focuses on a one, one of the sisters, one of these three um, Daughtry sisters. The first one is Selah, the older, the eldest. The second one is Joelle, the middle bookworm kiddo. And then the third book, Reckless Love, is um, focuses on the youngest sister, Aurora, who in, in a lot of ways, even though she uh, obviously is part of the family and knows her sisters well, her she has been reared by her grandparents in Memphis so uh, for a good bit of her childhood. So she brings some kind of fresh perspective to the whole series. Uh, she's bubbly little um, socialite, a uh, little, uh, little debutante who loves clothes and talking and parties and all that, but, but she's got a serious streak underneath that, very compassionate, tender heart. Stubborn um, if you ask me. Yeah, she's very, uh, very opinionated. And she can be persuaded, but she is extremely opinionated and, and is very sure that she knows how to do things the right way. And um, so anyway, she, she was really fun to write, but she, uh, she crosses paths with this very stoic, manly, uh, kind, of a, kind of a serious, he's got a little bit of a cynical side, a serious law, law man who's uh, in, comes to town to, with, uh, the responsibility of protecting uh, a couple of uh, murder witnesses and uh, finding a place to put them so they won't be um, they won't be axed before the before the trial. So he's a the he's a U.S. Uh, deputy marshal is his job. Uh, so uh, anyway, he's he was a really uh, he's a Civil War veteran, kind of a wounded kind of guy with a pretty um, pretty harsh rough background and then when he meets this beautiful little flowery butterfly kind of uh southern southern bell he's just instantly smitten but knows that you know his job is really really dangerous and is not good for her for her to fall in love with him but she has pretty much got her sights trained on him and will not be deterred so instant flames happen wow and uh, I can tell you, Aurora is kind of sort of takes after her grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, she does. Yep. She's been raised by her grandmother, who is the is is the uh, the traditional Southern matriarch, uh, who is in charge of her world, and uh, you dare not cross her. Uh, and she's funny, and uh, and. Um, and hospitable and loving and all those things that Southern ma matriarchs typically are, but she is definitely what we, we like to call the, the, the steel magnolia type, uh, type of woman. Aurora, yes, and Aurora definitely has taken on characteristics of this woman who has raised her from- Oh yeah, 
That that's what's fun. And Sila, I looked because um, I was looking at the description of, and and I looked at Sila. Sounds like the word, but her her name is spelled like that word you find in the Psalms. It yeah yeah. I wondered if that was if that was the name. Some of the names came from biblical references or anything. Absolutely. Yeah, Selah's name is that is that reference in the Psalms. And so, yes, it's a musical name. The, the family is actually pretty musical, as my mm -hmm. family is. So it's kind of easy to write that. And then the, the second daughter, Joelle, I don't I don't know that her her name is just kind of sounded southern and beautiful. Maybe. To a, yeah, that maybe a derivative of Joel. Yeah. And uh, so she's she's the bookworm girl in the middle tall and kind of uh, reserved and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and really and really bright and brilliant. Now, Aurora's name uh, is a, actually a family name in, in my personal family. I had a, a great aunt whose name was Aurora and uh, her the family called her Pete and nobody can remember why she was, they started calling her Aunt Pete. She was, she was always just Aunt Pete and um, was kind of a colorful character in my personal family. So I just thought it would be fun to use her name and her nickname for this uh, cute little third uh, Southern Southern Belle character uh, I wanted to write for A Reckless Love. Yeah, now I've got to go back and read the other two books of the series. <laughs> uh, you'll, you'll enjoy them. The second one, the second one seems to be a favorite for some reason uh, because Joelle is just so bright but but insecure and so the way she, she's 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 got she's a lot like my personality she's extremely introverted and so most readers can really identify with a character who is bookwormish and and so a little socially awkward shall mm -hmm. we say so mm -hmm. so that and that and that sounds like that sounds like a really fun it was a really fun series to write so what's coming up next for you i read on your website that you were thinking about doing a world war ii romance thriller is that right yeah um i've been i've been kind of researching and pulling information together on that for well over a year now and i'm still in the proposal stage of that so i think i've got a story with strong strong bones is the way I, my my writing partner likes to put it um i don't have a contract on that yet because i'm still kind of fumbling around with uh with details it it will not start out to be a series, although I'm hoping it might turn into that. But right now, it's I'm targeting a bigger book than I've been writing. Uh, my longest book probably to date is The Pelican Bride, which is the first book of the Gulf Coast Chronicles. It's it's uh, like a 400-page book. And uh, this one, the World War II story, may wind up being that big uh, because it's just it's a longer story. I'm thinking to toying around with taking the characters from childhood um, all the way through young adulthood and uh, so from that the early 20s let's say through the end of World War II is what I'm thinking about doing but I'm not a lot of um, current present day uh, releases set in World War II are set in the European theater I'm thinking about doing uh, both Homefront and the uh, Pacific theater so hopefully it'll be a little bit different than what's out there right now oh okay okay that that sounds <laughs> sounds interesting because i saw that and i'm like oh okay <laughs> yeah it's a little bit of a departure it's a brand new 
research period. Um, I have done a lot of Civil War, pre-Civil War, post-Civil War, and uh, so I'm fairly comfortable in those eras. World War II is, is just a night and day different as far as culture, politics, language, dress, everything. So, uh, mm -hmm. And I like to read, personally, I've read novels about the World War II, and if you want a book recommendation for that, as far as accounts, have you read The Home Place by Corey Ten Boom? Uh, I've read, no, the only thing I've read Corey Ten Boom is The Hiding Place. Uh, the, the Hiding Place? Uh, yeah. The Hiding Place, of the home, one of them. Anyway, it was about where she was in this little bitty uh, house and her room was at the top and then the- um, That's The Hiding Place. The Hiding Place, that's right. And then there's Return to the Hiding Place. I can't remember who wrote that one, but it was basically an extension of the series from another character's point of view, from another person's point of view. Yeah, that's in, that is in the European theater. All that was set in Holland. And uh, right. so I'm, I'm kind of more interested right now in researching the Japanese uh, side of things. Uh, my heroine is a missionary, a daughter of missionaries to Japan and she speaks fluent J Japanese. So I will be using her, I'm, I'm d developing a little bit of an espionage plot. I'm gonna use her as a, as a translator um, and a teacher and a, and a Navy flight nurse. So uh, it's um, same era, but, uh, and, and a lot of the history of course overlaps, but the, the South Pacific theater of war was run qu quite differently from the European side. Right, and the European side, from what I read, started sooner, too. Started it did. in the 30s. That is correct. narrative about this journalist who was over in Germany when it started. Yes, you're correct. So, um, <clears throat> well, anyway, do you have any advice for aspiring authors? Um, wow, that is a really broad question. Um, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, I've made just about every mistake that it's possible to make in a writing career. So I could probably give you more of don't do this. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, what I would say, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. What I would say is write every day and write for the love of writing without um, worrying so much about publication, especially at first, because most people, um, write or complete at least three novels before anything is ever published. And in my case, that was absolutely almost dead on true. Um, and I would say submit, be, be very willing to submit your work to critique by um, experienced, other experienced writers. Um, you you kind of have to develop, it's kind of interesting, you have to have like a dual thing of utter humility in being willing to accept criticism. But the other side, other side of that is you have to have almost a bulldog persistence and confidence that your, um, that your gift is, 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 is viable and, and, and has a place in, in, in a literary arena because you have to have both of those. Cause if, if either one of those things is missing, um, it's going to be extremely frustrating. And, I will say pride goes before a fall. You know, I, I have found that when I've been willing to listen and allow others to help me make my work better, my work does get better. When I've been obstinate and refused to listen, um, it's been a, a, 
a very a series of frustrations and you know you don't you just don't get anywhere if you're just convinced that there's no room for improvement everybody's got room for improvement everybody needs an editor for sure right i wish somebody had told me that that people publish their third novel they don't publish the first two because well yeah i made a publishing mistake when i was a young writer so. <laughs> yeah i mean so many people will do that they'll write something that's really you know pretty decent and put it out there and then later they learn that uh, you know that there were so there, there were enough significant flaws in it that it's that, and you can't pull it back once you've published something it's out there and it's open to critique it's too late so i would say be patient also is a is another really good rule for yeah. a successful sure, don't, writer don't try to rush because when you rush that's when you make the biggest mistakes yeah that's what i say anyway <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. So another thing, I, uh, one other thing I would say is um, there, there's so much good um, instruction, so much valuable instruction available now to uh, aspiring writers that it, uh, there, there are a couple of really solid um, fiction writing uh, texts that I would recommend that anybody read. Those are those are available on my website, and I would uh, and I would just Google, you know, recommended writing craft books, and just read through them and use those to improve your writing and be, like I said, be willing to to receive instruction. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> oh no, that's good. That's good. Which ones? Which ones do you recommend if you don't mind me asking? Okay, sure. Um, well, uh, Stephen King's On Writing. On Writing, yeah. Uh, McKee's um, story, uh, I forgot his first name, Richard or Robert McKee. It's called um, Story, S-T-O-R-Y. That's a really good okay. one. William Goldman's uh, Which Lie Did I Tell is amazing. Uh, what's the one about... Um, Oh, Ursula gosh. K. Le Guin had one too. Yeah, I have not read that one. Uh, James Scott Bell's uh, books on writing are awesome. Any anything that James Scott Bell writes is worth is worth checking out. Um, I forgot the name of the first one that I read, um, but I'll, I'll I'll put it on my website. Okay, cool. But have you read Writing Down the Bones by Natalie Goldberg? I have not. I've heard about it. I haven't read it, but I've heard about it from other writing groups and. That may be one you might want to check out. For those of you listening, y'all might want to check that out too. Mm -hmm. And I, I haven't started it, but I've also got The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. Uh, yeah, I've heard that one's good. I have not read that one either. Mm -mm, me neither, but I, I do plan to do that. So where can people find you online if they want to get your books, want to follow you? Uh, sweet, yeah. Um, I, my, my website is bethwhite.net, B-E-T-H-W-H-I-T-E.net. Uh, and there's a there's a little blog there. I don't I don't blog very often, but there's some there. And I'm on Facebook, and then I have on um, Instagram, author Beth White. Um, I have a Twitter feed, but I don't do much with Twitter anymore. It's just it got kind of toxic, so I'm I'm off of Twitter. I'll mention um, you on Twitter though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but Facebook is where I hang. I have an uh, an author page on Facebook, so that's where I am. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, um, and I ask a lot of my, the, uh, and for, for you, for y'all that are <clears throat> through Reveal and some of my other guests as well, do you have a favorite verse you'd like to share? 
Um, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. That is just kind of my, one of my life verses. I was just quoting that for my grandchildren just yesterday. So. Oh, wow. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. <laughs> okay. So would you like to close us out in prayer? I would love to. Thank you, God, so much for Anne and for her uh, willingness to um, assist other other writers and readers. And uh, God, I pray your blessings on her ministry here. I pray that you would just um, glorify and uh, magnify your own name through her. And I pray, Father, that your blessing and anointing would be on the the writers who are seeking to to follow you with a gift of writing and. God, I pray that you would just use us uh, for your service and for your glory. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to visit here and to be a part of this ministry. I pray, God, that I'm just going to flat out ask you to take the books that I write and uh, use them to, uh, to spread the word that Jesus loves the world, he, he, that, that he has come to be our Savior and our Lord. He's come to restore relationship with you, Father. And I pray that you would just use my work to, um, to bring glory to your name. And I love you and I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So we challenge you today to go out there and read to get inspired. Write something inspiring and share your creation with the world. For when you've touched one life, you've touched a thousand. Thanks for listening to Inspirational Journeys. And thanks for watching the video too. And remember, your story matters. Have a blessed day, everyone. Hey authors, are you looking for a tool to help you polish your book manuscripts, essays, short stories, and more? Look no further than ProWritingAid. ProWritingAid is an editing software that checks grammar, dialogue, sticky sentences, style, and more. Click the link in my show notes to save 20% off your ProWritingAid subscription purchase. Happy writing! Are you an author, creative artist, or entrepreneur creating innovative products and services to meet your customers' needs? If you've answered yes to any of these questions and would like me to help you promote your products and services on my podcast, I have an invitation for you. I am filling out my calendar for 2020 and would like to add some new guests to Inspirational Journeys. If you're interested in being interviewed by me, Please either email me with Inspirational Journeys in the subject line, message me on social media with your email address, or fill out the contact form on my website or at the bottom of my most recent blog posts with Inspirational Journeys in the message box. I look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to Inspirational Journeys, and have a blessed day. So I challenge you today to go out there and read to get inspired, write something inspiring, and share your creation with the world. For when you've touched one life, you've touched a thousand. You have been listening to Inspirational Journeys with your host, Anne Harrison Barnes. 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss a fabulous episode. If you are unable to financially support the podcast at this time, yet you would like to help, please leave a rating or review on your podcast app of choice because it helps others find inspirational journeys. If you would like to contact me and leave feedback about the show, have questions about something you've heard on the show, or leave suggestions for future shows, you may do so in one of the following ways. Please send an email to annewrites75 at gmail.com. That's annewrites75 at gmail.com. Or contact me via my website at annewritesinspiration.com. Follow me on Twitter at annewrites 75 and on Facebook and Pinterest at Anwright's Inspiration. Thanks for listening and have a blessed day.